the convention. We got to the hotel late. The kiddo was a mess and so was I. I let Sally sleep through the flight while I tried to keep our two-year-old girl from having a total meltdown as the plane started its final descent. My relief was Creepy pasta. The convention. We got to the hotel late. The kiddo was a mess and so was I. I'd let Sally sleep through the whole flight while I tried to keep our two-year-old girl from having a total meltdown. As the plane started its final descent, my relief was punctured by an absolute nightmare of a stabbing sinus headache. Something to do with the change in pressure, I guess. And that's when Amy started screaming. So by the time we got to the hotel, I needed a drink. And Sally, bless her, knew that we passed by the hotel lounge and she suggested that I duck in for a nightcap. While she put Amy to sleep, I did not argue. I sat down at the bar and ordered a double rum and coke. At first, it was just me, the bartender and some guy in a business suit. It was coming on midnight, but business suit was talking loudly on his phone. You tell Jensen that DDP needs to happen tonight or his avocado toast. Something like that. The bartender rolled his eyes and set my drink down in front of me. I slammed it down and ordered a Sam Adams. Halfway through that, I was starting to feel better. Just after midnight, the bar starts filling up with more business suits. A bunch of white, cocky-looking dudes all talking loudly. I heard the bartender mutter under his breath. He was a middle-aged black guy looking very tired and ready to go home. Looks like the asshole convention is in town, he said. I had one more beer, then headed up to my room. Sally and Amy were dead asleep. I crawled in bed next to Sally and wasn't out in no time at all. I woke up late and missed out on the coffee pots that the hotel provides for each room, as Sally had already gotten to them. She and Amy were bouncing around on the other bed while a Paw Patrol cartoon played on the TV. I figured there would be some coffee in the lobby or something, so I left the room and headed that way. In the hallway, three cleaning ladies were on their knees, scrubbing away at the floor. As I got closer, I saw that they were trying to clean up this massive brown stain. Jerks, one of the ladies was saying. No consideration at all. 
It wasn't hard to guess that one or several of the business suits had left that stain after a night of heavy drinking. I nodded to the ladies, then made my way to the elevator and pushed the button. When the door opened, a group of maybe 20 teenage girls in red short uniforms, soccer, I figured poured out of the elevator. I marveled that so many of them had fit in there and stepped in. The girls had pushed every button in the elevator, so I had to wait as it stopped on each floor. Floor 8. Ding! The door opened. Nobody came in. The door closed. Floor 7. Ding! And so on. I needed some coffee. I made to the lobby and it was packed to capacity. The business suits were all milling around, talking loudly, and there was just as many teenage girls in different colored uniforms holding forth while simultaneously typing away on their phones. I weaved my way through the throng, got my coffee, and headed back to the elevator. Three of the girls and one of the business suits got on with me. As we rode up the elevator, I looked over and saw that the man was ogling the girls in their shorts. I felt the rage bubbling as we climbed higher, and when the girls got up from the sixth floor, I turned to the man and said, Did you get the good look, asshole? He smiled at me. Should the help really be taking to a guess that way? Do I have to make a report to your manager? I was on the verge of telling him that I didn't work there. But then I knew that he knew that. He was just being a smug. I briefly considered cold cocking him, but I knew he couldn't be horrible about it and he'd sue me or get me arrested and then I would be screwed. So I kept my mouth shut until I got up for the ninth floor and called him a douchebag on my way out. The whole thing left me in a foul mood. But as day wore on, I forgot about it. We ended up having a fine day. Visiting with grandmother and then looking at all of the fish and sea creatures at the Tampa Aquarium. That night, I was awakened at 2.30 a.m. by horrific screaming. It sounded like torture or slaughter. I shook Sally. Hey, I said, did you hear that? Hmm, said Sally. That screaming, it sounds like somebody's getting murdered or worse. I didn't hear anything. It was loud. Maybe it was a dream, said Sally, turning over to go back to sleep. I felt a chill on the back of my neck and sat there wide awake for an hour, just listening. But I didn't hear anything except the heavy breathing of Sally and Amy deep in sleep. So finally I joined them. In the morning, I again missed out on the coffee in the room and again made my way to the lobby. Again, there were three cleaning ladies furiously scrubbing at a fresh brown stain in the hallway. This time, I shuddered when I saw it. Something was going on. We had another full day, the zoo this time, and by the end of it, I was exhausted from walking around in the Florida heat but I couldn't sleep. I kept thinking about the screaming I heard the night before and that brown stain. Just before midnight, I headed down to the lounge. It was full of business suits, loud and obnoxious as always. The same bartender was there 
I ordered a Sam Adams and when he set it down, I asked him, Hey, did you have a horrible screaming last night? Middle of the night, like 2.30. He shrugged. I don't know nothing, man. That struck me as an odd thing to say. What's that mean? You, you don't hear it or you don't know what it was? Means what it means, man. Means I don't know nothing. Okay, thanks, I said. I sat there drinking my beer, asking myself if it was, if it was really a weird thing to say or if I was just tired and getting paranoid. Maybe it had been a dream after all. That screaming. No, I heard it. I heard it. I knew I heard it. And the bartender was definitely being fishy. I was loath to talk to them. But finally, curiosity got the better out of me and I went over to the table of business suits. Hey, I said. They stopped talking and looked me over. We don't need any more drinks right now, one of them said. I sighed. They liked that joke. Did anybody hear that screaming last night? Oh, yeah, said one of them. That was my doing. Sorry about that, friend. That was you? It's, it's, it sounded like somebody got killed. What happened? Wow, said the man. This is really awkward. Look, it wasn't my fault, I swear. What? That, that wasn't your fault? Banging your wife, friend. She's a wild wife. All of the men at the table erupted in laughter. I had some brief thoughts, but they ended up with me in jail. So I clenched my jaw, left my beer at the table and headed back to my room. When I got to my floor, I heard someone giggling. When I turned the corner, I saw a business suit open his door. There behind him was one of the teenage girls in a short red uniform. She was sort of weaving around, obviously drunk or wasted on some kind of drugs. The man grabbed her wrist and shoved her into his room. Then he went in and closed the door behind him. I stood there frozen for a moment. I did not know whether to call the police or to try to handle it myself. I thought about the monster in there, raping the girl. It, it, could, be, it could happen before the police arrived. I ran down the hall and began banging on the door. After a minute... The man opened the door a crack with a chain on it that keeps it from opening all the way. What the hell do you want? He said. The girl, I said. What girl? Open the door, I said. Listen, you fool, he said. Go back to your room and sleep it off or I'm calling the cops. You're calling the cops, I said. No, I'm calling the cops unless you open that stupid door. He slammed it closed. I dialed 911. There's a man here, I told the lady. He, he got a teenager drunk and now he's alone in her with the room. I gave her the details and then started banging on the door again. Eventually, a man turned the corner and came down the hall. I recognized him. He was the guy who told me he'd been messing around with my wife. What the hell is going on up there, he asked. This guy, I said, choking down my rays and pointing at the door. He's got a teenage girl in there, drunk. I think he's raping her. The man smiled. Nah, he said. Jerry wouldn't do that. He stepped up beside me and knocked on Jerry's door. Jerry, he called to the door. Are you in there raping some girl? Bob, that's you, asked Jerry to the door. Yeah, said Bob. 
Are you raping a girl in there? Jesus, Bob, would you get that nut job out of there? I've called the police, but if he just leaves, I won't press charges. Bob looked at me. Look, guy, I think you'd better head back to your room and go to sleep. You don't want to deal with the cops, do you? Fine, I said. We wait for the cops. Then I shouted through the door. Here by Jerry, the cops are coming for you. The cops came 15 minutes later. We've got two calls from both of you. We're going to start this right now. We knocked on Jerry's door. There was this police. I'm going to need it to open up. The door opened right away and the cops stepped in. I tried to follow, but his second cop put his hand on my chest and told me to wait outside. A few endless minutes later, the cops emerged. Sir, have you been drinking tonight? asked the cop. He sure has, said Bob, who was still standing out there with me. Earlier at the bar, he was ranting about somebody screaming last night. But nobody else heard any screaming. Officers, this man is delusional. We can't have him harassing us all the time. We hear on important business. Sir, said the cop to Bob, we're going to need to go back to your room and get some sleep. Bob shrugged and walked down the hall to his room. The cop turned to me. He asked me a bunch of questions, who I was, what I was doing, that sort of thing. Finally, after conversing with a partner, he said, we are going to let this slide. I think that maybe you had one too many and you really think you saw a girl in there? You were trying to do the right thing, but I'm leaving word at the department as well as the front desk here. If there's any more incident, it's game over. Do you understand? I nodded. Good now. Go back to your family and get a good night's sleep, said the cop. Thank you, officers, I said. And then I did walk down the hall back to my room and Sally and Amy were sleeping. But I couldn't. I was awake all night and I was wondering what Jerry did to the girl. How he made her disappear into thin air. And I was asking myself that I was, I realized I was completely insane. I did not feel insane. I had seen that girl go into that room. But the girl wasn't there when the cop searched the place and there was no exit other than that door I saw. I decided I might just have gone insane. The next day passed in the days. We had a barbecue at Sally's mother's house and I somehow made it through. Sally knew that something was wrong, but I did my best to act like everything was normal. At some point I asked, what, what do you think about staying in a different hotel tonight? Uh, why would he do that? asked Sally. This is our last night here. We already paid for the room. It's just all of, all of his businessmen crawling around the place. They, they creeped me out. I saw one of them making... Eyes at one of the girls. It's not safe. The hotel is not safe. Yeah? They're creeps, but not worth changing hotels over. Uh, Sally said. I, I guess you're right, I said. That night, after the girls were out, I decided to head down to the lounge again because I knew I wouldn't be able to sleep. As the elevator door was closing, a hand reached in to stop and Bob stepped in. L listen, buddy. He said, we know who you are. He said my name, my wife's name, my kid's name, my home address, 
and the home address of our employers. Who, who are you? I asked. After taking a hard swallow, what, what do you want? We are going to destroy you. You stupid Jerry. The cops might have let you off, but we are not going to. Say goodbye to your bank account. Say goodbye to your house. It'll all be gone by the time you get back," said Bob. I didn't know what to say, what to do. I just stood there, my mind whirling. The elevator dinged its way down, and and Bob got off on the ground floor. I did not. I rode back to the ninth floor, and stood in front of my door for a long time, thinking, I have to protect myself, protect my family, but how? I had no idea who I was dealing with. Could they really do that? Wipe out my bank account and all of that? I don't think so. But I didn't know. They sure were able to find out the details of my my identity quickly and easily. At some point, I must have dozed off, leaning against the outside of the door to my room. I hadn't slept at all. In thirty-six hours, I was awakened by the screaming. I looked at my phone. It was two thirty a.m. The screaming sounded like it had come from just around the corner. I stood up and walked slowly down the hall. It was totally silent. I got to the corner and slowly stuck my head around it. There, a ways down. Was a group of dozen of the girls in red uniforms kneeling down, hunched over something. I stepped around the corner. Is everything okay? I asked, walking forward. In unison, the girls snapped their head back. I recognized one as the girl who had been led into Jerry's room, but she and all of them looked different now. Their eyes were glowing red, and they had something in their mouths. As I got lower, I saw what it was. They were chewing on human intestines. With my eyes, I followed the intestines down to the bodies, and they were quite dead. And there was Bob and Jerry with twisted expressions of absolute horror etched into their faces. The girls grinned at me around the intestines. Each one had a smear of blood on her forehead. Painted into a symbol, it was a circle with three slashes running diagonally through it. I vomited there in the hallway. The girls turned back to the bodies. I turned around and walked to the door of my room, opened it, and I got into the bed next to my wife and fell immediately into a deep sleep. My mind having been shut down completely. In the morning. I was up early enough to get a cup of coffee in the room. We packed our things, checked it down under the beds one last time, then heeled out into the hallway. We turned the corner, and there were three cleaning ladies on their knees scrubbing at the large brown stain. Absolute slopes! One of the ladies was muttering. I nodded to them as we walked to the elevator. Can I push the button? Asked Amy. Sure thing, Kirikiro. I said. Amy pushed the button. The elevator came, and we rode down to the lobby. Everyone was checking out: the businessmen, the teenage girls, the Bob, Cherry, and us. 
I saw that same girl there, the one who had disappeared in Jerry's room, suitcase in one hand, phone in the other. She looked up from her phone for a brief moment and smiled. It felt like she was looking at me, but I couldn't be sure. We checked out and headed home. The end. Second horror short story. Bedtime. Bedtime is supposed to be a happy event for a tired child. For me, it was terrifying. While some children might complain about being put to bed before they have finished watching a film or playing their favorite video game, when I was a child, nighttime was something to truly fear. Somewhere in the back of my mind, it still is. As someone who is trained in the sciences, I cannot prove that what happened to me was objectively real. But I can swear that what I experienced was genuine horror. A fear which in my life, I'm glad to say, has never been equaled. I will relate it to you all now as best as I can. I can make of it what you will, but I'll be glad to just get it off my chest. I can't remember exactly when it started, but my apprehension towards falling asleep seemed to correspond with my being moved into a room of my own. I was eight years old at the time, and until then I shared a room quite happily with my older brother. As it was perfectly understandable, for a boy five years my senior, my brother eventually wished for a room of his own, and as a result, I was given the room at the back of the house. It was a small, narrow, yet oddly elongated room, large enough for a bed and a couple of chests of drawers, but nothing much else. I couldn't really complain because even at that age, I understood that we did not have a large house and I had no real cause to be disappointed. My family was both loving and caring. It was a happy childhood during the day. A solitary window looked out onto a back garden, nothing out of the ordinary. But even during the day, the light which crept into that room seemed almost hesitant. As my brother was given a new bed, I was given the bunk beds which we used to share. I was so upset about sleeping on my own. I was excited at the thought of being able to sleep in the top bunk, which seemed far more adventurous to me. From the very first night, I remember a strange feeling of unease creeping slowly from the back of my mind. I lay on the top bunk, staring at my action figures and cars strewn across the green-blue carpet. As imaginary battles and adventures took place between the toys on the floor, I couldn't help but feel that my eyes were being slowly drawn towards the bottom bunk, as if something was moving in the corner of my eye, something which did not wish to be seen. The bunk was empty, impeccably made with the dark blue blanket, tucked in neatly, partially covering Two rather bland white pillows, 
I did not think anything of it at the time. I was a child and the noise slipping under my door from my parents' television bathed me in a warm sense of safety and well-being. I fell asleep. When you awaken from a deep sleep to something moving or stirring, it can take a few moments for you to truly understand what is happening. The fog of sleep hangs over your eyes and ears even when lucid. Something was moving. There was no doubt about that. At first, I wasn't sure what it was. Everything was dark, almost pitch black. But there was enough light creeping in from outside to outline. That narrowly suffocating room. Two thoughts appeared in my mind almost simultaneously. The first was, my parents were in bed because the rest of the house lay both in darkness and silence. The second thought turned to the noise, a noise which had obviously woken me. As the last cobwebs of sleep withered from my mind, the noise took on a more familiar form. Sometimes the simplest of sounds can be the most unnerving. A cold wind whistling through a tree outside, a neighbor's footsteps uncomfortably close, or in this case, a simple sound of bedsheets rustling in the dark. That was it, bedsheets rustling in the dark. As if some disturbed sleeper was attempting to get all too comfortable in the bottom bunk. I lay there in disbelief, thinking if a noise was either my imagination or perhaps just my pet cat, finding somewhere comfortable to spend the night. It was then that I noticed my door shut as it had been. I had fallen asleep. Perhaps my mom had checked in on me and the cat had sneaked into my room then. Yes, that must have been it. I turned to face the wall, closing my eyes in the vain hope that I could fall back to sleep. As I moved, the rustling noise from underneath me ceased. I thought I must have disturbed my cat, but quickly I realized that the visitor in the bottom bunk was much less mundane than my pet trying to sleep and much more sinister. As if alerted too and disgruntled by my presence, the disturbed sleeper began to toss and turn violently, like a child having a tantrum in their bed. I could hear the sheets twist and turn with increasing ferocity. Fear then gripped me, not like the subtle sense of unease I had experienced earlier, but now potent and terrifying. My heart raised, my eyes panicked, scanning the almost impenetrable darkness. I let out a cry. As most young boys do, I instinctively shouted on my mother. I could hear something stir on the other side of the house. But as I began to breathe a sigh of relief, my parents were coming to save me. The bunk bed suddenly started to shake violently as if gripped by an earthquake. Scrapping against the wall, I could hear the sheets below me thrashing around us. As if tormented by malice, I did not want to jump down to safety as I feared the thing at the bottom punk would reach out and grab me, pulling me into the darkness. So I stayed there, white knuckles clenching my own blanket, like a shroud of protection. The wait seemed like an eternity. 
The door finally and thankfully burst open, and I lay bathed in light on the bottom bunk. The resting place of my unwanted visitor lay empty and peaceful. I cried. My mother consoled me. Tears of fear allowed my relief streamed down my face. Yet, through all the horror and the relief, I did not tell her why I was upset. I cannot explain it, but it was as though whatever had been in that bunk would return if I even so much as spoke of it or uttered a single syllable of its existence. Whether that was the truth, I do not know. But as a child, I felt as if that unseen menace remained close, listening. My mother lay in the empty bunk, promising to stay there until morning. Eventually, my anxiety diminished. Tiredness pushed me back towards sleep. But I remained restless, waking several times to the sound of rustling bed. I remember the next day wanting to go anywhere, be anywhere, but in that narrow, suffocating room. It was a Saturday and I played outside quite happily with my friends. Although our house was not large, we were lucky to have a long, sloping garden in the back. We played there often, as much of it was overgrown and we could hide in the bushes. Climbing a huge tree which towered above all and easily imagine ourselves in the throes of a grand adventure in some untamed exotic land. As fun as it all was, occasionally my eye would turn to that small window, ordinary, slight and inonicous. But for me, that thin boundary was looking glass into a strange, cold pocket of dread. Outside the lush green surroundings of a garden filled with the smiling faces of my friends could not extinguish the creeping feeling clawing its way up my spine, each hair standing on end. The feeling of something in that room watching me play, watching for the night when I would be alone, eagerly filled with hate. It may sound strange to you, but by the time my parents ushered me back into that room for the night, I said nothing. I didn't protest. I didn't even make an excuse as to why I wouldn't sleep there. I simply and sullenly walked into that room, climbed a few steps into the top bunk. But even at that age, I felt almost silly to be talking about something which I really had no evidence for. I would be lying, however, if I said this was my primary reason. I still felt that this thing would be enraged if I so much as spoke of its existence. It's funny how certain words can remain hidden from your mind, no matter how blatant or obvious they are. One word came to me that second night, lying there in the darkness alone, frightened aware of a rotten change in the atmosphere, a thickening of the air as if something had displaced it. As I heard the first casual twist of the bedsheets below, the first anxious increase of my heartbeat, at the realization that something was once again in the bottom bunk.
that word a word which had been sent into exile filtered up through my consciousness breaking free of all repression gasping for air screaming and etching and carving itself into my mind ghost as this thought came to me i noticed that my unwelcome visitor had ceased moving the bed sheets lay calm and dormant but they had been replaced by something far more hideous a slow rhythmic rasping breath heaved and escaped from the thing below i could imagine its chest rising and falling with each sordid wheezing and garbled breath I shuddered and hoped beyond all hope that it would leave without occurrence. The house lay as it had the previous night in a thick blanket of darkness. Silence prevailed all but for the perverted breath of my as yet unseen bunkmate. I lay there terrified. I just wanted this thing to go. To leave me alone. What did it want? I am scared. I am terrified, petrified, and something unmistakably chilling transpired. It moved. It moved in a way different from before. When it threw itself around in the bottom bunk, it seemed unrestrained, without purpose, almost animalistic. This movement, however, was driven by awareness, with purpose, with the goal in mind. For that thing lying there in the darkness, that thing which seemed intent on terrorizing a young boy, calmly and nonchalantly sat up. Its labored breathing had become louder, as now only a mattress and a few flimsy wooden slats separated my body from the unearthly breath below. I lay there, my eyes filled with tears, a fear which mere words cannot relate to you or anyone else coursed through my veins. I would not have believed that this fear could have been heightened, but I was so wrong. I imagined what this thing would look like, sitting there, listening from below my mattress, hoping to catch the slightest hint that I was awake. Imagination then turned to an unnerving reality. It began to touch the wooden slats which my mattress sat on. It seemed to caress them, carefully running what I imagined to be fingers and hands across the surface of the wood. Then, with great force, it trotted angrily between through slats into the mattress. Even through the padding, it felt as though someone had viciously stuck their fingers into my side. I let out an almighty cry, and the wheezing, shaking, and moving thing in the bunk below. replied in kind by violently vibrating the bunk as it had done the night before small flakes of paint powdered onto my blanket as the wall and the frame of the bed scraped along backwards and forwards once again i was bathed in light and there stood my mother loving caring as she always was with a comforting hug and calming words which eventually subdued my hysteria Of course she asked what was wrong but I could not say I dared not say I simply said one word over and over again nightmare mom I I, I had a nightmare mom it was it was a a nightmare this pattern of events 
continued for weeks if not months. Night after night, I would awaken to the sound of rustling sheets. Each time I would scream so as to not revive his abomination with time to prod and feel for me. With each cry, the bed would shake violently, stopping with the arrival of my mother, who would spend the rest of the night in the bottom bunk, seemingly unaware of a sinister force torturing her son nightly. Along the way, I managed to feign illness a few times and come up with other less than truthful reasons for sleeping in my parents' bed. But more often than not, I would be alone for the first few hours of each night in that place. The room where the light from outside did not sit right. Alone with that thing. With time, you can become desensitized to almost anything. No matter how horrific I had come to realize that, for whatever reason, this thing could not harm me when my mother was present. I am sure the same would have been said for my father, but as loving as he was, waking him from sleep was all